You are listening to CEO Perspectives, a podcast by the Conference Board. Welcome to this episode of CEO Perspectives, a signature series by the Conference Board. CEO Perspectives are conversations that take an objective, nonpartisan look at a range of subjects that matter most to business leaders. To help make sense of these topics, we sit down with thought leaders and do what we do best at the Conference Board, provide trusted insights for what's ahead. I'm Steve Odlin from the Conference Board and the host of this series. And in today's conversation, we're going to discuss the U.S. federal debt, how it's risen over time, where it stands today, and what can be done to get it under control. Joining me today is Dr. Lori Esposito-Murray, the president of the Committee for Economic Development, which is the Public Policy Center of the Conference Board. Lori, welcome. Uh, Thank you, Steve, and thank you for inviting me for this very important discussion. CED just issued its uh, brand new paper, Lori, regarding the federal debt. Share with us some of the key statistics of the debt, how it's risen over time, and what's been the drivers. Uh, well, Steve, that that is uh, the paper we wrote uh, is uh, actually focused on how this problem has been an issue for years now, but but is extremely important now as interest rates are rising and which is going to be compounding the level of debt. So debt's driven by by deficits. As as we uh, continue to have deficits, it increases the debt. That's one of the principal drivers of debt. The U.S. has not had a surplus since 2001 and has been borrowing since then. And we were borrowing on top of debt already accumulated. But since 2001, we have been going deficit to deficit year after year and increasing the debt. The debt also has, uh, has to be serviced. And so you have interest on the debt. And with interest rates going up, uh, that that is getting more and more expensive and and uh, is compounding the amount of debt we have. You know, the debt held by the public has swelled from under 35% of GDP at the end of 2007 to just about equal the size of the economy today at 95% of GDP, and that's public debt uh, that's that's held. It's increased 113%. Debt has increased 113% since 2013. And it's scheduled to reach its highest level since 1946 after World War II, uh, when it was 100% of GDP by 2031 and rise to 185% by 2052. That's CBO's numbers uh, based on May's calculation. They're about to come out with new numbers next week. And the uh, expectation is that uh, those numbers will even be worse. And so, as I was mentioning about servicing the debt with interest rates going up, uh, we're seeing uh, that compounding the debt. And uh, this past year in FY 2022, uh, interest on the debt was $475 billion, and that's up over just a one-year period from $352 billion. So up more than $100 billion in just a year in terms of servicing the debt, and that's uh, anticipated and expected to go up more as interest rates go up. Yeah, but so so, th- th- but this is the problem, Lori. I mean, we're we're taking in uh, a lot less money, uh, roughly what we, we take in a roughly three trillion a year, and we spend four to five trillion a year. So the deficits are are one to two trillion in a normal year. And then sometimes when you do these big um, things like we, you know, the spending that we had to do in the uh, in the pandemic, it's even higher, right? Right. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, you know, we saw two major. Uh, 
pop-ups on the debt. Uh, the, it was uh, obviously the Great Recession, uh, increase in the debt to deal with that crisis. Uh, with COVID, we saw um, uh, you know, compounding um, uh, high levels of debt uh, as we were dealing with over $6 trillion of, of uh, spending just to deal with uh, the, uh, the COVID crisis over uh, the past two and a half years. Uh, so, and, and probably more than that. Uh, estimated to be about six trillion. So, compounded debt uh, happening with uh, these two major crises, which is part of the reason why it's uh, such an important issue and destabilizing. Yeah, you know, and, and it's interesting because um, you know, in some ways it's complex, right? But in some ways it's actually no different than running a household. You simply can't spend more than you take in. Or you add debt, and that debt, you say, as you said, needs to be serviced, which means that you know you have to pay the interest on the debt, and that consumes a greater portion of our discretionary budget each year, doesn't it? Uh, yes, and that's that's the that's the reason why it's it's such an important issue. You know, it, it the more it the more interest on the debt you have to pay, uh, the more it takes away from uh, how you can pay for what's abs- you know what, what's necessary. You know, for example, in um, fiscal year twenty twenty two, this past fiscal year, four hundred and seventy five billion dollars was spent on servicing the debt, and that's up for from uh, 352 billion uh, the prior the prior year. So over year to year, 352, 475. You can see the uh, the incredible amount of growth right there in just a year to year basis. And you know to put that in perspective, uh, you know that's it. That's about uh, nearly as much as we spend on on education. Uh, so you're servicing the debt, and we spend about 677 billion on education. Uh, we're getting really close to those numbers, uh, and that's you know as I said, expected to rise. Uh, and um, uh, you know, and, and the projections are are really very uh, very bleak. Uh, they could exceed. Uh, Moody's is saying they could exceed by 2025 or 2026 the country's entire uh, defense budget, uh, the amount of money that we're paying to service the debt. Yeah, this is a little scary. And, um, you know, economists use the measure of debt to GDP, you know, meaning the debt to the total amount of the economy, just to try to characterize what are appropriate level, because some level of debt, I think most economists would agree is 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 okay. And But the question is, what's the right level? So right now we're, we're what? We're over 100% of debt to GDP, is that is that right? So if you're looking at there, if you're looking at total debt, we're over 124%, and that includes the public debt uh, as well as the intergovernmental debt. For the public debt is actually the the more important figure. Uh, we're about 95% of debt to GDP, so we're almost equal to the economy in terms of debt to GDP. Yeah, in the post before this last surge, I think the post-war average had been somewhere between forty and fifty percent, right? Yes. Yeah, and and so how do you determine what what's the right level? Because you know some people say, well, you know, you can it, it, that's too low. You can go more than that, um, and we have, but but and some people say, well, no, you shouldn't go. How do you know? So it's interesting. the The Treasury Department last year, uh, Janet Yellen, uh, when she uh, issued her fiscal report, described a sustainable fiscal policy is when the debt to GDP ratio is stable and declining over the long term. 
And the rates, the, the ratio that we are at now, uh, if you look at advanced economies uh, in Europe, in order uh, with the Maastricht Treaty, uh, when, when they were setting up uh, the euro, they wouldn't allow um, a, a country to have an advanced economy to have more than 60% of debt to GDP. That was seen as a stable and sustainable uh, policy. The Treasury Department has said that our current fiscal uh, situation is not sustainable and that we really need to bring down uh, those levels of debt to GDP. Uh, so 60, 70 percent for advanced economies. This is also uh, the IMF also uses this ratio as well uh, as, as a way of looking at uh, sustainable fiscal policy and 60 to 70 percent, although still high for the U.S., um, still you know high compared traditionally uh, for the U.S. is is seen as a more stable number uh, and was the target that we we were aiming for. Uh, in our um, uh, analysis, in our in our recent report, well, and and that those assumptions, you know, when you say sixty to seventy percent is okay. By the way, we're we're fifty percent above that. But but when you say it's okay, um, it does kind of assume you know a normal status quo kind of a world, and it doesn't it doesn't leave a lot of room for emergencies, for pandemics, for, you know, for natural disasters, for a war where we need to defend ourselves, right? Where, where we, you could justify a short-term spike in the debt to deal with a black swan kind of event. And so part of the issue is that, you know, not only are we way above what, what, the economists say are the, the right levels, but it, it just takes away all of our ability to respond. Uh, absolutely. And uh, we've been responding to, as I mentioned, several crises. There was the the war in Afghanistan. Uh, there was, uh, you know, after 9-11, uh, we've, you know, most importantly had the uh, uh, Great Recession. And then, of course, COVID, uh, you know, one on top of the next, on top of the next. And if you have any doubt that it that the situation can change on a dime and that, um uh, the financial community can lose confidence. Just look at what happened uh, in the UK when uh, former prime minister and the shortest prime minister in terms of time in uh, in office uh, in the UK, uh, Liz Trust, uh, made her announcement about their new budget. Uh, the financial markets uh, uh, quivered and and uh, basically were pulling the plug on on the British economy. And uh, it all happened. Uh, it, you know, it turned on a dime. Yeah, in days. Well, you know, so this is what I don't understand, Lori. You know, you've got a couple of recent presidents and a lot of politicians in Washington at the federal level saying debt doesn't matter. Why do they say that? Well, the reason why they say it is because the very low interest rates uh, actually hid the uh, the amount of debt we were accumulating uh, because it kept the servicing of the debt low. And so if you could, if the U.S. could print money, it, it is uh, the global reserve economy, uh, you know, it could print money. It didn't, you know, the, the argument was it didn't matter. We could cover it. Uh, fortunately, uh, you know, unfortunately, we've seen increased interest rates in terms of infla inflation, but fortunately it's shown a spotlight, just like COVID has shown a spotlight on a number of different problems. The rising interest rates have shown a spotlight on how unsustainable uh, the levels of debt we have accumulated uh, are affecting our ability to service the debt, 
Uh, and, and as inflation goes up, uh, you get even the debt even uh, increases further just by simple inflation and uh, the situation we're in where uh, uh, our, our fiscal policy will be unsustainable. Um, yeah, so you know, so I understand, you know, it, it, you know, when interest rates are zero to one percent and that's stable and it's not taking up much of the budget, why they say debt doesn't matter, but that's no longer the case, and it's and it was never going to be the case for the long term, and but they're still saying debt doesn't matter. So it, it I mean, it's just, you know, how should business leaders? How should ordinary U.S. citizens be thinking about this? Are they just, you know, should should they be taking their politicians to task and asking them to to stop thinking about it that way? Uh, so it's it's really important, and you know, and that the business community focus on this and the importance of this, and and that's what CED and its business trustees uh, have been doing for years. Uh, but most importantly, now really uh, trying to. Uh, leverage what uh, is, uh, as I said, uh, spotlights being shown on the problem because interest rates are growing, going up. That it, you know, it has an important impact on the on the economy. It is going to decrease uh, growth. It is going to uh, it's going to slow growth. It's going to decrease investment, both by uh, especially by the private sector. They're going to be drawn to these rising rates on on treasury securities instead of investing uh, in the economy and uh, in their businesses. It, this is so critical for the business community that wants to see growth and prosperity. And uh, we're instead heading down a very, very, we're already in a very dangerous situation and heading down uh, a very dangerous path that could have uh, cataclysmic effects on the economy if we don't deal with it now. The longer we wait, the harder it is uh, to address this. And we've already waited too long. Yeah, and, you know, we, we everybody was laughing at Greece. You know, what's the matter with Greece? Because yeah, I think their debt to GDP rose to 100 and what, 20, 30%. And um, and here we are a few years away from that, given the given the current projections. But, you know, the, 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 you were talking about interest rate, interest costs rising to about, what, half a trillion dollars annually. But that's that's been with relatively low interest rates. Now, it, it doesn't include the rise in interest rates, which is going on. So that, that could actually go a lot higher. Right. And, and uh, you know, it. At the conference board, uh, Steve, as you know, the projection is is that inflation. You know, the big question is: is this just a blip, and is inflation yeah. going to go away? And and the conference board's uh, economics team has assessed that you know inflation is actually going to be with us for a while. And there are a number of factors driving that. Part of it is is the uh, the housing crunch and, and millennials' interest in it, need for housing, uh, and so pushing housing, keeping housing prices high. Uh, you also have the labor shortages. Uh, you have you know several other major areas in terms of uh, you know what what's going to push that the deglobalization the moving companies uh, to the U.S. Uh, the expense of that uh, that comes with deglobalization while important aspects of that are necessary for resilient supply chains or for national security, there's also uh, extra cost in that, both in terms of labor and in terms of actually building these facilities here. It's more expensive to do in the U.S. or, or even near the U.S. So uh, you're going to see a lot of uh, drivers continue in terms of uh, inflation. We're talking about the federal debt and its unsustainable levels with Dr. Lori Esposito-Murray. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. As you and your company monitor the latest wave of shocks that have battered the U.S. economy, 
the award-winning forecast team at the Conference Board now predicts a U.S. recession by the end of 2022. This recession will further compound the crises that have recently upended expectations, from a deadly pandemic to a war in Ukraine and the highest inflation rate in decades. Yet, unprecedented crises also present unforeseen opportunities if you have a trusted, proven navigator by your side. With that in mind, the Conference Board continues its long-standing tradition of providing timely and relevant content on a daily basis to help guide the business community through the economic storm. These trusted insights are being gathered on our website and are available to help your company master the challenges ahead. Chart a course for the future, which will allow your business to emerge stronger on the other side by visiting our free economic hub entitled Navigating the Economic Storm, Your Indispensable Guide Through the Global Recession, located at www.conference-board.org topics recession. Welcome back to CEO Perspectives. I'm your host, Steve Odlin, CEO of the Conference Board, and I'm joined today by Dr. Lori Esposito-Murray, President of the Committee for Economic Development, which is the Public Policy Center of the Conference Board. Okay, so Lori, we've talked about the levels of debt, how far, what's driven it, how far that, you know, that this debt has, has risen and how scary it is. But in the paper that you all have just written, you've had, you know, you've, you've given us a lot of policy recommendations. Give us a summary of what you think we should do to get this all under control. So, Steve, part of our, our analysis included actually projecting forward how long it would take. Uh, we were talking about the goal of 70% of GDP and reducing the debt to GDP ratio, which is an absolute priority. The goal of 70% uh, to GDP being a more stable rate, even though still a very high uh, rate, a more stable rate for the U.S. economy, and uh, the importance of getting there. And part of our analysis showed that uh, we looked at 10, 20, 30 years to get there. And our analysis showed that to get there in 10 years would be draconian. Uh, and more than the U.S. Uh, economy could handle without actually suffering um, a, a major uh, recession if you were going to do the types of uh, spending cuts and tax increases you would need to get to 70%. So we're looking at 20 to 30 years where you could do this in a way that would have uh, less of a draconian imp impact on, on growth. And if there is a recession, it would be a mild recession. So with that perspective, uh, you know, we, we need to start now. It's going to take 20 to 30 years. We need to start now. Uh, there needs to be uh, a cohesive approach by all leadership uh, in government and also uh, with the support of the business community uh, for this goal uh, and, and urging the government to take on this goal. Uh, it needs to start now. And uh, the first thing we th believe that is absolutely important is that, first of all, the U.S. Uh, pays its debt. And, and we, we remove the debt ceiling from a cliff type of decision that's going to hurt the U.S. economy even more. But linked to that, set up a, a, a bipartisan committee or commission uh, to actually set out these goals uh, and, and what it would take to, to get to 70 percent of GDP in 20 to 30 years. Uh, included in our recommendations is that uh, along with averting the debt ceiling crisis and setting up this commission is you have to make, we have to start making fiscal restraint a priority now. And spending must be cut where possible. We must avoid stimulus. It's very important we avoid stimulus right now in terms of the economy and its, and its health, uh, returning it to fiscal health. 
uh, and uh, reducing inflation. It also has to be whatever spending we do right now should be focused on promoting work and productivity. Uh, for example, investment in R&D, uh, education, infrastructure, you know, those areas focused on growth and not stimulus. Absolutely critical. And this is, uh, and after the State of the Union, we are heading in the wrong direction on this. We need to reform Medicare and we need to save Social Security. Uh, both, both of those programs are going to be heading, uh, both of their trust funds are, are heading towards uh, default, and uh, it's absolutely critical. Social Security in 2034 and healthcare in 2028, it's absolutely critical that we come together as a nation and deal with this problem and manage these programs uh, to get them back on a, uh, a, a level of, of, of uh, fiscal sustainability. Uh, remove budget gimmicks, pay for new initiatives uh, are absolutely critical in terms of returning to regular order and not, not using smoke and mirrors. Uh, not saying a program will end in three years when it, it, it most likely is going to continue. And then reform on the uh, revenue side, reform tax policy. We keep talking about increases in, in taxes. In, we should be looking at reforming the, using this as an opportunity to actually reform tax policy. And history has shown that when you reform, actually reform tax um, taxes, the, the tax system, and you reduce preferential treatment, you, you actually increase uh, revenue. And so that should be the approach to tax policy. Absolutely important to streamline regulation. And uh, the other critical uh, issue facing this nation as we're setting goals for realistic uh, energy uh, transition policy uh, to get us to our net zero objectives in 2050 is that's going to be very expensive and we need to start figuring out uh, how we're going to pace that. Uh, the the role that fossil fuels will be playing in our economy and, and um, uh, the importance of both uh, of fossil fuels uh, in the energy transition so that we do it in a smooth way and a way that doesn't uh, compound uh, our debt and def our deficits and debt uh, over this time. So those were the main areas that we looked at, Steve, uh, with our with our recommendations. Yeah, and your paper your paper is posted on our website. You can find that at uh, www.tcb.org. But what struck me about reading your recommendations, Lori, is there's just a ton of things we can do to to bend this curve back down. Um, but this level of debt happened in a very short period of time, a few years. And you're saying even if we take all of these actions and we and we really dedicate ourselves and focus on it, it's going to take decades to fix what we incurred in the last few years. And that just shows you how much, how high the spending has been and how much debt has been put on in a very short period of time and the urgency, right? Because if it keeps going, you know, it could be completely unsolvable. Right, right. And it just gets, it, 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 the problem gets worse and it's more difficult to solve and you're going to be stuck with. So what happens if the uh, Medicare and, and social security trust funds, uh, you know, head head into uh, default. What what happens? You're going to end up spending that much more money to to bail out those programs. Really, you're dealing with uh, large, very large parts of the budget. And and uh, to if you deal with it now, you can manage the problem, and it's a serious problem. If you deal with it when the crisis happens, uh, you're talking about it having cataclysmic effects on the on the uh, uh, on our fiscal policy and the economy. Yeah, and CED has written, Social Security is actually very addressable. I mean, you raise the 
retirement age by a few years and people are living longer. So that's not, you know, unreasonable. And you do a little means testing. That's not the big issue. The big issue is Medicare, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so, so you do have to reform what, you know, how much you're paying, you know, what you're willing to do. You gotta, you've got to restructure that program. And, and it, you know, people say, well, you know, cause you're taking away from people who need it. Yeah. Well, no, what you're doing is you're ensuring that the people who need it for the long term will get the funds if you make the program sustainable. So it's really sustainability that you're that you're targeting. Right. And focusing on managing the problem now instead of ignoring it. And right now, uh, the big consensus that came out of the State of the Union was that uh, we not to touch Social Security and not to touch uh, uh, Medicare. Yeah, and, that, and those are political decisions, not you know. Right, and you know, and it's life. it's heading us in the wrong direction. We should we should be addressing this as saving these programs, saving these programs for uh, future generations, and and so that we so that they are sustainable and that they can continue yeah. uh, in a sustainable fashion, and that we can meet our um, our other demanding budget priorities. Now, you some people say, Lori, we ought to just raise taxes on the rich. We shouldn't cut any spending. Just raise taxes on the rich, and that'll pay for it. Your group says this won't work. Why? So you know, we we ran the data on this, and and just raising taxes to cut the debt to GDP ratio was just not feasible. Uh, a couple of reasons. One, uh, it it will consume uh, private investment capacity, and so you're looking at. Now, not only slowing growth, but you're actually probably looking at uh, recessions uh, and a deeper recession. But it's also because the interest on the debt keeps rising. And so the rising interest rate we saw uh, continues to outpace the effect of the tax hike. So you, it's really difficult to do. It's just not feasible to do it with, with uh, tax increases. Well, the other thing is, you know, you, you could take 100% of the income of the top 1% of the of the of the economy you could take all of it and it would only run the country for a few months so it, it the, the what you pointed out is that the the magnitude of the debt and the issue is so high there's no amount of taxation that would that would fix it Right, that you need to look at outlays as well. They need to be cut. It needs to be a mix of the two. Yeah. And a mix of the two, so it's not a draconian effect on the economy and you avert a deep recessions. Okay, so, the, so you know, we all elect these, these, rep, you know, these representatives to Congress. We elect the president and the administration. We send them there to deal with these things, but they, they just don't, they don't fix these things. And so, but there, there have to be some areas of agreement where Democrats and Republicans agree these are the things that, that should be done. What, what are those areas and why don't they just fix it? Well, as you know, we just were talking about, it's a given the, the role of Social Security and, and the health care programs, Medicare, Medicaid, uh, in the budget. You know, two-thirds of the budget uh, are basically covered by what they call these uh, non-discretionary uh, expenses. And so they have to agree to look at it. They have to agree to reform it. They have to agree to save it. And uh, that has to be a joint agreement by Republicans and Democrats to come to the table and seriously look at managing these programs as we go forward for exactly the reasons we said that they're, they're sustainable for generations to come. Uh, so that's absolutely critical. In terms of, you know, as I said, how we looked at it, it's really going to take 20 to 30 years, uh, you know, in order to have tax hikes and spending cuts 
uh, that that are actually uh, sustainable and that you could do. And and if you were going to suffer recession, have smaller recessions. Well, we have a tool in the in in our uh, report that allows uh, uh, the user to go in and uh, manipulate how much tax increase, how much um, uh, spending cuts, uh, and over what period of years. And that's what the what our leadership needs to uh, our political leadership needs to sit down and figure out. Uh, one, what is the sustainable pace that is needed, and then look at our programs and uh, decide, you know, how much needs to be spent in each of these areas, and where savings can be found, where efficiencies can be found. Yeah, but you, you know, you you your group does hundreds of meetings up on the hill uh, every single year, and you know, it's interesting. You know what what you've reported is that there is agreement when you go talk to the Democrats and you say you know, this is what we think should be done, they agree with you. When you go over to the other side of the aisle and you say, this is what should be done, they agree with you. But then they don't want to give, they don't want to work with each other to get it done because they don't, you know, the politics of who gets credit, you know, and who's going to get blamed if there's, you know, a spending cut. It's just maddening. Well, and, and uh, you know, we're, it's already um, the 2024 election. And so you have both parties positioning themselves, which is part of what's come out over the past week, particularly on the, on, on the, the two programs, the two big programs, uh, Social Security and Medicare uh, and Medicaid. And um, so you, it's, a, it's a political environment. But, you know, one encouraging thing from, from our conversations on the Hill is that there are members who, on both sides of the aisle, you know, there are a small number of members who are trying to grow the number of their colleagues who are interested in uh, sitting down and looking at this. Uh, there are, you know, a, a um, number of members who are, small group of members who are actually looking at this and recognize the seriousness of it and uh, the importance of coming to bipartisan uh, decisions now that have to be sustainable over 20 to 30 years. Yeah. Well, I hope these adults who are working together, you know, really prevail here because we need to work. Lori, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, Steve, well, thank you. Uh, you know, it is a critical issue and and uh, really appreciate the opportunity uh, to uh, uh, work uh, not only with our trustees and, and the conference board on this, our colleagues in the, uh, in the economic center, uh, but also appreciate the opportunity to talk with you about it. And thanks to all of you for listening in to CEO Perspectives. Every week I'll be joined by a prominent thought leader to provide insights on the issues of our time. We'll cover leading topics in geopolitics, economics, public policy, and more. Please share CEO Perspectives with your colleagues, with your friends, with your family. Send it to everybody you know. I know they're going to want to listen. I'm Steve Odland, and this podcast has been brought to you by the Conference Board. You've been listening to a podcast from the Conference Board, the indispensable ally that has helped businesses through war, recession, and economic transformation for over 100 years. As recent unexpected economic challenges persist, you can chart a course for the future, which will allow your business to emerge stronger on the other side. Just visit our free economic hub entitled Navigating the Economic Storm, Your Indispensable Guide Through the Global Recession located at www.conference-board.org slash topics slash recession.